Freedom Hut. Should we break up the tech giants? The Democrats' big plan for Biden, no holds barred, so to speak. On Capitol Hill, life next to Junkies Alley here in NYC, and how the left plans to ruin your suburb. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honored to have you here with me, as always. My, oh, my, we are in it now, aren't we? The presidential election getting closer every day. And we're actually going to have to talk about this now. (laughs) The news media has been so busy with their Make America Miserable Again campaign, terrifying everyone constantly engaged in all kinds of uh, fear-mongering that there's been such uh, a lack of focus, really, on the actual presidential election and the campaigns. We will get to all that and more. But first, I want to talk about what's going on today on Capitol Hill, uh, because this matters a whole lot when it comes to the election. It matters a whole lot when it comes to everything in our lives right now that touch on the commercial, the political, economic. Uh, You have the four biggest tech CEOs in the game right now. Sorry, Elon, not quite not quite at that at that same level. You have these four tech CEOs, um, Bezos, Musk, Pichai and Zuckerberg. I'm sorry, Bezos, Cook. See, Elon got in my head. Bezos, Cook, Pichai and Zuckerberg, Facebook, Google, Apple and Amazon, respectively. And for a lot of folks, I, I understand this. They they hear all oh, big tech and monopolies and What companies really think about this have a bigger influence right now on your life? Start start at that proposition. Uh, I think about my own day and how much of what I find is based on Google. You know, if I I, I wanted to buy racket strings yesterday, right? So I went on Google, uh, find the best place for racket strings. And and then I ended up saying, well, hold on a second. Maybe I'll get a better price and get it more quickly at Amazon. So then I go on Amazon. And I'm probably going to go on Facebook when I get my new racket strings and, you know, show, hey, look at me with my new stuff, my new gear out on the court. Tennis is a real sport. Don't give me all that. I know I know what some of you are thinking. I like tennis. So here, you know, at some point I'll turn into a golfer and then you can all give me uh, give me crap for that. So we see these companies having such a massive outsized influence on our lives. And we also know something else about them. They are. As left wing as the faculty lounge of PCU, politically correct university. If you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it. They are absolutely devoted to the evangelizing project of the left to make America a more progressive place. At Silicon Valley is the only is really the only area of the country I can think of that I, I would agree is probably more liberal in its culture, more left wing in its uh, approach to life than where I am here in New York City or, or even Washington, D.C. So Silicon Valley is swampier than the swamp. And they are influencing so many things in your day to day lives. And we could talk about all the different ways that they uh, are stifling competition and, and how they're acting as as monopolies now, and especially for the 
information platforms like Facebook and Google. You know, with Apple, Apple's a little harder for me because there's a lot of people that make a whole lot of electronics products. And I, I look, I tell you my biases. I share them with you openly so you know where I'm coming from. I, I like Apple products a whole lot. I think they're pretty great. So that one for me, but they're, they'll, they'll talk about the app store and what gets elevated. Look, I, I know, for example, I'm in the podcast business as well as the radio business. And what gets shown to people in the Apple store when it comes to politics matters a whole lot. Discovery is critical. So Apple has its own little version of Google within its ecosystem for what podcasts get listened to. And this is part of why you have so many uh, left-wing podcasts, you say, this is a crappy podcast, and this person has no audience outside of their podcast, but they are, you know, the top of the Apple Store and the Apple 100, whatever it may be. And they'll say, well, look, this person gets so many downloads. But yeah, have they been the featured podcast this whole time? And you may say, Buck, I don't, I don't podcast. That's your problem, not my problem. Yeah, but this is all about information dissemination. Why do you think the wokeness has taken over our culture? Why is the NFL, why is the ML, MLB overrun with wokeness? NBA overrun with this virtue signaling left-wing anti-Americanism because of the dominance within the culture. How do you get to cultural dominance? Control the means of production, to take this into a, a Marxist lexicon, the means of production of ideas. They know this. They understand how important this is. And that's why we've had, you know, leaks and people who have come forward and and whether it's, you know, surreptitiously acquired audio or emails, we see that within these big tech conglomerates, the story had been for years. Oh, it's just an algorithm. Oh, it doesn't. There's no there's no bias in any of this. That's a lie. That's a lie. Right. We know that there are people working in these companies who are able to subjectively put their thumb on the scale for one side, and they do, and it is always for the libs. This is why conservatives get banned. This is why conservatives are constantly fighting with these platforms. This is why I've said we've got to build our own platforms, at least as a safe haven from this nonsense, at least as an alternative. This is why I'm on Parler as well as on Twitter. This is why I'm telling you Instagram, Facebook. One thing I've learned in business is that if you're going to if you're going to have boss, a a boss, it's great to have or it's better if you can to have many bosses, certainly in the media business, uh, because then you're reaching more audience. But also no one has total control over what you're doing. And the same thing is true about us as individuals with our social media. Better to have multiple platforms going all at once so that you can share your ideas. Any single one of you listening to this show right now has the ability to put forward a meme or, you know, just write a quote on your Facebook page that could go viral and that could end up. And you've seen this happen. Retweeted by the president of the United States to 80 million followers. Any single person listening to this. And this is true. I'm not, you know, I'm not just just blowing smoke here. You know, it's true. So the power of these platforms is immense for every individual listening to this show right now. People ask me, they say, hey, Buck, how can I help? You know what's one way you can help? Make awesome memes, tag me, send them to me, tell me, hey, Buck, share this. And I'll say, you know, this is from so-and-so, and we'll put it out there. Any one of you can do that if you're so inclined. 
Now, I know a lot of you are like, Buck, I, I'm actually I got a family and kids and I got things I got to do. Uh, well, that's why I'm here presenting you with content. But if anybody wants to get in that game, they can. And it's different than it was in the late 90s where, oh, I'm going to start a blog and I will have two friends who read it. No, the moment you put it out there on this platform, it's in the marketplace of ideas. The problem we have with the lips is that they are cheating in that marketplace constantly, constantly. And now I saw the explanation or the testimony of Jeff Bezos, who does have a pretty interesting life story, I will say. And to, to call him a success story is obviously a tremendous understatement. He's the richest guy in the world. Uh, he's the richest dude on planet Earth. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, and, and his company, and I will say this, I, I think I probably personally buy, I don't know, 50 or 60% of all, my, all the objects that aren't food that I buy probably come to me via Amazon. So... That, that influences your thinking, right? It's so convenient. It shows up so quickly. You know, I type in, you know, give me the thingamabob that I need to do the thing over the, over the fridge. And they're like, oh, you mean the who's a what's it? And I'm like, yes, that's perfect. Thank you, Amazon. And it shows up at my door. Sometimes in a day. It's that you get addicted to that convenience. Just like we've become addicted to the convenience of Google. We've become addicted to the convenience of, of Amazon and, and the constant connectivity of Facebook and just the seamlessness and the tr and the and the reliability of the software and the hardware from Apple. Right. We need... Now, there's a lot of good these companies have done in terms of their products, which is why they are the really the most powerful companies on planet Earth right now. They are. I, I don't think you can find a, a company that is more powerful than these tech companies. And that's reflected not just in how wealthy the people running them have become, but in their influence in the culture. But here's the thing. The libs obviously don't want the same kinds of regulations that exist elsewhere in media. They want the playing field tilted toward them. And so they've adopted this line, which is a lie, that, oh, the platforms don't have a bias. And that has become increasingly difficult. That's now just gaslighting. It's very challenging for them to continue with that because we turn around and say, well, what about this case? What about this case? If Donald Trump Jr. just got suspended from Twitter for retweeting something that's completely in the, in the current news discourse about hydroxychloroquine. How do we change this? How does this shift? Oh, they promise us that they will make it better. They promise us that they will make this better. And then they don't. Right. Oh, no, there's no bias. They're just this is just what we, we have gone through this cycle. Let's learn from history, gone through this cycle with the mainstream media. And we were late figuring it out as a, as a people and the American people, those who have their eyes open that ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post. These are propaganda outlets for the Democrat Party. They might as well be paid by the DNC. That is the truth. And. Here we are having this hearing on Capitol Hill where we'll be told, oh, there's no bias. Oh, this is all just fine. My friends, we're going into an election cycle right now. We're going into the height of the presidential election right now. And there are so many ways that these tech giants 
And Google and Facebook, when it comes to the politics, are the most obvious in this, although Amazon owns the Washington Post, and there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes on there, too. Uh, but there are so many ways that they will be able to skew perception, and they only have to do it just a little bit. Just the smallest hand on the dial at Google could perhaps turn a state blue. And we know this because the Democrats have also been telling us for years now, because they're insane, that with Russia collusion, uh, Trump effectively stole the election. That was, what, $100,000 of Facebook ads by a bunch of Russians you know, acting like bozos online? That's right. That, that's, that is the story. That, oh, they cheated in the election. Oh, they were going to change the election. Uh, What do you think has more influence? A random person spending $100,000 on Facebook or, you know, this random group, I should say, in Russia spending that money, which is the equivalent of pouring a cup of water from your sink in the ocean and saying you've changed the temperature. Or the company that is in charge of all of the ad accounts, all of what goes you know, that can shadow ban, that can do all these different, use all these tools, and you have no transparency, no accountability for this whatsoever, and is clearly devoted top to bottom with the ethos of its, of its uh, uh, as a company, with the political leanings of the people that work there. It couldn't be any more obvious. These are effectively organs of the Biden campaign, Right? Now, they can't be open about that because then, they, then they'd then be too clearly in the crosshairs for regulation. So what do they do? They say, oh, we're not a publisher, we're a platform. Does the phone company drop calls that come from, you know, Republican fundraisers? No, they do not. The phone company is a platform. Facebook is not a platform. Facebook is a mega publisher. Google is not, is not just a search engine. Google is an editorial machine. Everything it does, there's an editorial bent, an editorial decision made. They should be subject to the same rules and regulations as any other media and information entity. Or we should just get rid of all regulation altogether and stop pretending that there's any need for regulation. That's where we are on all this, my friends. That's the truth. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, it was quite a day yesterday on Capitol Hill. We were just talking about the testimony uh, from these tech giants. And, and look, I think there's going to be a lot of noise, a, a lot of, oh, gosh, you know, I'm a Republican and oh, we're going to we're going to do this. and we're going to do that. Trump is tweeting out that he's going to do executive orders on that. Now, that may be helpful. But remember, that executive order could end up lasting uh, a total of, oh, I don't know, four months. Less depends on when Trump does it. So we, we do need to remember that executive orders are less durable even than legislation. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I can't get that excited about people saying, oh, we're going to we're going to regulate or we'll see. It's starting to be a little bit like Lindsey Graham with I, I'm going to get to the bottom of Russia collusion. I'm going to be on I'm going to be on Fox News tonight. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Lindsey Graham says. And then we go. OK, Lindsey, we're still waiting for that. How, how's that coming along? You know, it's great for the Fox News talking points, though. Uh, so then there's the hearings that happened yesterday with Attorney General Barr. And this stuff was incredible. We talked about some of it yesterday. I played a little bit of it for you yesterday. But the, the biggest thing you have to remember is just how 
utterly and completely disrespectful they were to the attorney general. And look, I I know there's partisanship here and I'm not expecting them to be nice to Barr. I'm not expecting them to do anything that would show that they are favorable to uh, toward him. But I do think I do think that it's fair to expect that they treat him the same with the same basic dignity that they would treat uh, anyone who shows up there. And if you thought that, you would be wrong. I mean, here's the, you know, Barr is a senior citizen, okay? The guy's doing this just because he wants to help his country. He is rich. He is established. He's already been attorney general. This is actually who you want. If you want the equivalent of Cincinnatus, the Roman general, for attorney general, you want someone like Bill Barr because he shows up and he's like, I'm just going to do the job the way it should be done. I'm not I'm not angling for my deal with Simon and Schuster. I'm not looking to get a Fox News contract as soon as or, you know, CNN contract or MSNBC, whatever. I'm not looking to do that as soon as I get out of here. I'm looking to be the best attorney general possible. And he's very effective. So for those two reasons, he's honorable and he's effective. Democrats loathe him. I mean, they absolutely hate him. And to the point where it's almost comical. I mean, it's a, it's. It's nasty, but it's funny at the same time. Here is the attorney general. It is known that when someone when a witness says, can I have a break? It's like when a kid is in school and says, you know, I have I have, I need a bathroom break. You know, imagine if you're in school and the teacher, you say, I got to go to the bathroom. The teacher goes, no, not allowed. That's pretty much what happened to the attorney general of the United States yesterday uh, for, for a moment. I mean, they did relent. They did relent. I'm not trying to overstate this. Play clip one. Sorry, Mr. Chairman, could, I, could we take a five-minute break? Dean is recognized. Could we take a five-minute break, Mr. Chairman? No. That's a common courtesy, Mr. Dean is Chairman, of every witness. This is I, I waited 45, uh, an hour for you this morning. I haven't had lunch. I'd like to take Mr. a five-minute break. Mr. Attorney General, we're, we are almost finished. We're, we're, we're going to be finished in a, in a few minutes. If, if, otherwise, uh, you can, we can certainly take a break, but... Um, you're real class. Yes, after this, if you still well, want, we'll have a break. No, he wants a break now. now? And you just, br- you just committee, mentioned rudeness. I think we're stand, seeing it on display. Let's let the Attorney General have a break. The committee will stand in recess now. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> I love what he says. You're a real class act. Yeah, Jerry Nadler... A.K.A. the worst, the worst. Uh, But at least at least in the end, he did have to relent and let the attorney general get some water and use the restroom after hours of shouting at him like morons, because that's what the Democrats in Congress are. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, just how rude were they to the. Second time Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr. Here's a fantastic supercut to let you know that all Democrats think they have to say is, I reclaim my time. I I reclaim my time. And they get to make any accusation they want, badger a witness, not let them respond, and just keep on going. I mean, it was it was appalling, kind of hilarious because it was so appalling. Here they go. Play clip four. Isn't that correct? No, no, what is correct is that well, er, er, what is correct that on February 10th, Monday, no, no, I gave instructions no, 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 as to what the my time. 
Yeah, I'm answering your question. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. On February 10th. Sir. On February 10th, I directed. Reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time, and I know you don't want to answer. You are wrong, Mr. Attorney General. That was he found the investigation had been initiated properly. He said he found reclaiming my time without political bias. He said he found evidence. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time without without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. When when people resist law enforcement, they're not peaceful. Reclaiming my time. I'm surprised at your lack of respect. Gentleman does not have the time. I don't want the time. I just want I want the attorney general to be able to have enough time to respond to accusations and questions asked him, and you guys not cut him off. What you want is irrelevant. But, uh, do you have anything you want to say in response to the speeches that have been given by the other side, and, and then you've been cut off? Yeah, well, let's on Lafayette, on Lafayette. The gentleman's time has expired. The gentleman's time has expired. They didn't give him any time. They didn't give it. They're just saying, oh, you, you're an evil traitor, Russia collusion, Trump stooge, blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that? Oh, I reclaim my time. Oh, I reclaim my time. That's what they said. That, that's what they were doing. It was, it was like being back on CNN back in the day. Oh, excuse me, conservative commentator Buck Sexton. Um, so Trump has a supporter who tweeted this racist thing. What do you think about this racist thing? Well, uh, oh, bup, 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 let's go over to Van Jones. Van Jones, talk to us about why the Republicans are so racist and evil. I'm like, wait, hold, I thought... Thought we were in the trust tree. I thought we were in the nest. Nope, we were not. We were at CNN. We were at CNN. It was definitely it was the opposite of the trust tree, whatever that is. But there were some important moments, too. I mean, the thing that everybody was focused on was just how deranged the Democrats were. That's not new. It may make it into the news, but it's not new. The there were two really powerful moments from the hearing that go right to the heart of what's happening in this country every day and why the Democrats cannot be trusted and the Democrats uh, need to be kept away from power. Everything we need to do, everything possible to keep them away from power. Uh, This is when Bill Barr finally did get to speak for a moment. He talked about the protests, quote unquote, which are riots, which are assaults, which are domestic terrorism going on in Seattle and Portland. I mean, remember, they're they're blinding police officers now. You're not seeing that blasted out all over the news, all of the news uh, organizations. They're they're trying to intentionally blind cops. If someone tried to blind me uh, and I had to kill them to stop them from doing it, I would not feel badly. I'm not going to go blind because someone is a moron who thinks they're fighting some revolution against the United States. If I had to use lethal force to defend myself from someone blinding me with a laser, I would do that and I would not. I would not feel guilty about it for a second. In fact, I'd say, you know, I'm glad I had the ability to use the lethal force. And I would, and if they took me into court for it, I'm sorry, not going blind. They are blinding police officers on purpose, trying to. And they may have already succeeded. Think about what that would be like for you, for your family. Oh, but they're just protesters. That's a lie. And the scum at CNN and MSNBC who play these games, mostly peaceful protests. We don't like the violence, but, you know, we're not going to condemn it. They should be ashamed of themselves, but they have no shame. They are, by their very nature, by their character, shameless. Attorney General Barr was able to at least tell the country what's happening in Portland specifically. Play clip two. In the wake of George Floyd's death, violent rioters and anarchists have hijacked legitimate protests to wreak 
senseless havoc and destruction on innocent victims. The current situation in Portland is a telling example. Every night for the past two months, a mob of hundreds of rioters have laid siege to the federal courthouse and other nearby federal property. The rioters have come equipped for fight, armed with powerful slingshots, tasers, sledgehammers, saws, knives, rifles, and explosive devices. Inside the courthouse are a relatively small number of federal law enforcement personnel charged with with a defensive mission to protect the courthouse. What unfolds nightly around the courthouse cannot reasonably be called protest. It is, by any objective measure, an assault on the government of the United States. As elected officials of the federal government, every member of this committee, regardless of your political views or your feelings about the Trump administration, should condemn violence against federal officers and the destruction of federal property. What occurs nightly around the courthouse cannot be reasonably called a protest by any objective measure. It is an assault on the government of the United States. You see, the left, the libs, the Democrats, they think that they have a right to do that. They believe that they have the right to assault the government of the United States when Donald Trump is the president. They think this is fully justified. They've been doing this in different ways for years. And there is no principle that they are trying to protect in any of this. This is about the relentless pursuit of power. The Attorney General making this point so that everybody could hear these are not protests. We are in an era now where you have more ability than ever to hear your, to have your voice heard, to spread your information, to spread your message. Now, of course, we're talking about tech giants and the way that they restrict that. They don't restrict it for libs. You want to be a crazy anti-faloon and say America should be socialist and we should all listen to AOC, abolish the police, Green New Deal. You want to be that monumentally stupid. You can go for it. Spread it all over the place. Have all your buddies click like and share it around and all that stuff. What's with the attacking a courthouse? Why do that? Because... It is a transfer of power. It changes the perception that the federal government under Donald Trump is a legitimate governing body. That's what they are doing. That is the purpose of the theatrics here and the reason for the violence, the reason for the destruction. And I'm glad the attorney general was able to tell America when he wasn't being interrupted to tell America about that. That was that that's telling People who are talking about these protests and, oh, the moms in Portland defending people. It's very straightforward. Protesters who don't do illegal crap and try to hurt people or destroy things can do, you know, no one stops them. Oh, I'm sorry. I take that back. If they're protesting unconstitutional lockdowns, then governors will send cops in and then then they'll be threatened and face, you know, because their First Amendment rights don't count. You got to you got to keep locking down forever. But if you're a Democrat stooge, then, yeah, of course, you can you can do whatever you want and get out there, protest, be as loud as you want. But the law is the law. It either applies to all of us or it doesn't. You either get in trouble for defacing federal property or no one should get in trouble for defacing federal property. Right. I I don't want to live in a two tiered justice system. That was the primary message at the start of the hearing going into the hearing from the attorney general about why he even took the job. We live in a two-tier justice system now in this country. We need to set it right. 
Libs are so sanctimonious and delusional and emotionally unstable and self-righteous that they really think the laws don't apply to them. Not when it comes to protest, not when it comes to abuse of power, not when it comes to corruption. Oh, no. Does it doesn't apply to them. Just like we see with the lockdowns, you wear a mask and social distance and don't have a job or else. But, you know, fancy libs, they'll break the rules when and when and how they see fit and expect there to be no consequences to it. But there was really, in some ways, an equally and you could argue even more troubling exchange that goes to the heart of all of this. And I I often tell you about the mass psychosis, the, the delusion of the Democrats in the Trump era and how how just in, incredibly, really unhinged and vicious they are about this. And I'm somebody who I've grown up around Democrats. I live in a Democrat city. I, I have seen this change. There is nothing like what we are in the middle of now. There is nothing like this before in my lifetime, certainly in American politics, uh, where if you vote Republican, if you support the president of the United States, you are a target for destruction and humiliation. It doesn't matter if you're a public person or not. They they just can't help themselves. They have truly lost it. And th- there's no sense, uh, overriding sense of, of honor, of decency, of kindness. I know that word people laugh at when you say it in the context of politics. But, you know, I, I, I go hard at the Democrats and at the left on Twitter, and I do make fun of politicians, but I... I do have limits. Uh, first of all, I, I don't go after civilians. You know, I'm not mocking people and 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 trying to humiliate individuals ever. Uh, and and I also try to keep it on the issues. I also try to keep it about what the arguments are. You know, and not going. I certainly don't do the things that libs always do. You know, make fun of people's appearance, make fun of their name, make fun of their family. I mean, the, the libs do this constantly constantly it's it's just a part of their political culture now you know you're you're ugly you're you're the worst you know no one likes you i mean they really try to go after people in a way that is disgusting and you might say well that's just social media and people act like maniacs on it but no it's it's representative of the way that that political party views its mission and its goal which is scorched earth stop at nothing and, and there's no sense of, of, mercy, of mercy, of fair play, of decency that comes into this. Whatever it takes to win, whoever gets destroyed, we don't care. That is their approach, which is why Donald Trump was such a breath of fresh air for so many of us, because he came in and said, no, no, not going to let you do this, not going to let you humiliate me, not going to bend the knee like some wimp, like Mitt Romney, not going to do it. Here is an exchange between the attorney general and a sitting member of Congress. Now, let's understand this. Uh, he's a member of Congress from, from Georgia. Um, let's understand that their theory is that the attorney general interceded on behalf of Roger Stone because he's Trump's buddy. That's the theory. And they all they all believe this. The attorney general, the entirety of the Roger Stone prosecution, which only happened because of a sham investigation. But, you know, he did he did mislead the investigators. The, the attorney general uh, said it was a righteous prosecution. You cannot lie to investigators. The problem was just why would you send this guy to prison for twice as long as anybody else under the same circumstances? He wasn't getting the uh, he wasn't getting special positive treatment within the DOJ because of his ties to Trump. 
he was getting special negative treatment. They were making an example out of him, out of Roger Stone, because of his connection to Trump. And look at the way this exchange actually happens, or listen to the way it does, when the Attorney General just asks a a question that just a normal, rational, reasonable person would want an answer to. Play clip eight. You think the American people don't understand that you were carrying out Trump's I was not. I, I had not discussed my sentencing recommendation with anyone at the White House or anyone, president, exactly. or anyone outside the, the department. You to do, and that's what you did. No, Let me ask you: Do you think it's fair? Do you think it is fair for a 67-year-old man to be sent to prison for seven to nine years? It was in accordance with the sentencing. No, it was not. Notice this congressman. Yeah, that's right. It was in accordance with, yeah, send Roger Stone. I don't give a crap what the guidelines say. And as the attorney general points out, they actually weren't in the, it was way above the guidelines. For the record, this guy questioning him was not impressive, to say the least. One of the, one of the, one of the least, uh, least capable of all the questioners among the Democrats, which is really saying something. I mean, you got Eric Swalwell with his IQ probably somewhere in the, in the mid-80s. Uh, you look at this issue and you say, how could anyone think that sending Roger Stone, a 67 year old man to prison for seven to nine years for a nonviolent crime where there's really no it's a process crime. He, he didn't it didn't stop anything from happening. It didn't hurt anyone. It didn't do anything. It was essentially just showing disrespect to the Mueller probe, which, while technically you can't do, I totally understand why he did it. I wouldn't have lied, but I would have told them to blank themselves whenever I got the opportunity. Uh, but the Democrats won't even they won't even admit that. No, they wanted they wanted Roger Stone to go to prison for up to nine years, federal prison. Very good chance that he might end up dying in federal prison if that happened because of what? Because he lied to the Mueller investigators about so uh, Bill Clinton lied under oath. He didn't even get charged, folks. Right. We, we all know that. I mean, the double standards here are so blaring that it, it's just it's stunning. But see, there's a viciousness. There is a sadism that Democrats have brought into politics now. They want people to suffer. They want you to be ruined because they are so ruthless in their desire for power because they've rejected. Let's just be honest. I mean, they've, they've rejected traditional Judeo-Christian morality. They've, they've rejected the vision of the founders. They've rejected all of these anchors to decency, commonality and unity because they want to be in charge. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, this is great. I, I didn't know this. Producer Nick told me this uh, just now, and, and we checked it out. It's true. So that was Hank Johnson who wanted Roger Stone to go to prison for perhaps the rest of his natural life, um, which is just a, a, a stupid and vicious position. But that's one the, Demo- the Democrats hold. Uh, Hank Johnson's also the guy who said during a House Armed Services Committee meeting as he was questioning Admiral Robert Willard. This was uh, uh, some years, some years back. I think it was uh, maybe 20. I don't know. It was it was some years ago. And he said uh, this is Hank Johnson. My fear. This is about the impact of U.S. troops on the island of Guam. Hank Johnson asked, quote, my fear is that the whole island will become so overpopulated that it will tip over and capsize. He said, that's the guy who's asking the attorney. <laughs> that's the guy who's asking the attorney general questions. 
going, going, uh, you know, in a battle of wits, Hank Johnson and Bill Barr. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. After 62 nights of terrorizing downtown Portland, there seems to be a deal that is struck between the governor in Oregon and the acting head of DHS, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. They've been talking and they've reached a, quote, joint plan to end the violent activity in Portland directed at federal properties and law enforcement officers. That plan, this is all up on Fox News, includes the robust presence of Oregon State Police in downtown Portland. State and local law enforcement will begin securing properties and streets, especially those surrounding federal properties that have been under nightly attack for the past two months. Oregon State Police will coordinate with Federal Protective Service officers to ensure all federal facilities remain protected and secure. Oh, so after the deployment of federal officers and the humiliation, the national humiliation that these governors and mayors have received because of there's finally some news coverage of all of this. Um, after that happens, now finally cops are going to be allowed state and local police will be allowed to do their jobs and protect federal buildings in Portland. I got to say, I'm not convinced that they will do the job. I mean, I think they'll probably make a show of it for a while, but these uh, lunatic leftists, they, they live there. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to just disappear entirely. They'll wait until the heat passes a little bit, so to speak, and then they'll start doing this crap again. We got an election, folks. You think that now the Democrat left is going to... I got to stop saying it. Just the Democrats, because the Democrats are the left. Interchangeable. Let's use these words interchangeably, right? It's like tomato, tomato, Democrat and leftist. I think there's a, there's a little there's a little bit of distinction that we could talk about, but it's pretty darn close. So, yeah, Governor Kate Brown comes out here after my discussion with Vice President Pence and others. This was on Twitter. The federal government has agreed to withdraw federal officers from Portland. They've acted as an occupying force and brought violence. Wow. What a lunatic. Starting tomorrow, all Customs and Border Protection and ICE officers will leave downtown Portland our local Oregon State police officers will be downtown to protect Oregonians' right to free speech and keep the peace. Let's center the Black Lives Matter movement's demands for racial justice and political uh, police accountability. It's time for bold action to reform police practices. What a disgraceful moron she is. Yeah, that's it's all about it's about justice for George Floyd. That's why they want to burn down a federal courthouse. The guy that killed George Floyd is probably spending the rest of his life in prison. What, does this always just get uh, forgotten in this whole conversation? No one said it was okay. Everyone said it was horrible. And he's very likely, I mean, he's you know, innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, but he's very likely to spend the rest of his life in prison. They, they act like this was uh, something, you know, the way the left talks about this, the way the Democrats discuss this issue, it's as though we all said, yeah, you know what that officer did, it's, that's standard procedure. Sorry. The guy's, the guy's going to live the rest of his life in a cell. Most likely. So when they say they want justice, now we could talk about how does it ever, is there really such a thing when someone is murdered, when someone is killed? Is there such a thing as justice? Well, that's another conversation. 
But it's not a particular injustice in this case through the system. But Governor Kate Brown doesn't doesn't think through any of that, doesn't care about any of that. Uh, she is in, in a, an abominable disgrace. Uh, this is the problem. You know, Oregon, I've, I've been to Oregon. I've actually been to Portland. It's such a beautiful state and such cool people, such good food. There's a, there's a lot to love. There's a lot to love about it. The coastline is amazing in Oregon. If you've never been to the Pacific Northwest, the coastline there is so beautiful. So much to like about it. Uh, the politics there, though. I mean, look, the, the loony left is running the show. The loony left is running the show. So we'll see what happens now that they're. Oh, and my, my other favorite thing is that they were. This was this was great. I mean, favorite as in it's just it's just another example of how outrageous the whole thing is. Uh, they had they, they were threatening to sue. Uh, this is real. The, the, they, they were threatening to sue the federal government for an unauthorized fence. That's right. An unauthorized fence. You, you can't make this stuff up. Um, they wanted to every 15 minutes they were going to be sending the federal government a bill. Portland is fining feds $500 every 15 minutes for a fence surrounding a courthouse. That's right. These little petty totalitarian nutsos, these wackadoos. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the people running the government there. They were going to start sending the federal government a bill because they had to build a fence to protect federal property. And they didn't get like the permitting process or something. I got news for the governor of Oregon and the mayor, Ted Wheeler, the little Antifa errand boy. I got news for them. Oregon and Portland are, in fact, under the jurisdiction of the United States federal government. Yeah, I know. I know that's kind of a shock. This was coming from the Portland City Council. Same thing. Same idea. Oh, my gosh. Portland finds the feds $200,000 so far over the fence outside the courthouse. That's right. It's going to try to squeeze the federal. Look, it's all politics, right? Squeeze the federal government for money. Portland spends two hundred thousand uh, dollars every every thirty seconds, paying you know bureaucrats who are entirely useless. So it's not like this is a big a big chunk of change in the grand scheme of things. But it just shows you what the attitude is. It shows you the attitude is after all we've been through, after all we've learned, um, we end up having a situation here where, sure enough, sure enough. We um, can't expect Democrats to take action that should be nonpartisan, right? This is not about safe streets, protecting federal courthouses. This is not supposed to be an issue of left or right. But increasingly, we see that they just don't care. Bill Barr asked them yesterday. We don't have this audio, but Bill Barr asked them yesterday why is it that only Republicans seem to be against rioting? And that's a very powerful question to ask. Why is it the case that only Republicans right now are making a public case against rioting? I thought we were all supposed to be against rioting. I thought we were all supposed to be in favor of the rule of law, safety, and property rights. I know we're not. I'm not. I'm not naive. I'm like, Buck, what are you talking? The libs are insane. Of course, I'm the one who tells you every day they're insane. We know this, but to see it at this level, it's so brazen. They're not even hiding it. Is the point, right? It used to be. This is like what the Democrats would do on immigration. It used to be. Oh, we want a secure border too, and then they'd work constantly undermine the border, undermine the border, undermine the border. Right? Oh no, we want a secure border too. No, 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 no. Undermine the border. 
behind closed doors, behind the scenes, the media cheering them on the whole time. Right. But they would say technically, yeah, we want a secure border. Law and order was something that they would say, oh, no, we all want safety on the streets. And then they promote all these ideas, you know, bail reform and so on and so forth, all these things that make us less safe. And now we've gotten to the point where we are less safe. And what do they do? Oh, that's right. They, they just they say, yeah, this is the way it is. <laughs> this is this is how it happens. This is how the cookie crumbles, America. Democrats want you to know that you are less safe that the government is not on your side unless you will do their bidding. They will not protect your rights unless you are a little, you know, bleating sheep for the left. Then you'll get special rights. Then the pandemic doesn't matter anymore. Then all of a sudden, everything is different. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I said they acted like stormtroopers, and they did. And my colleagues have said that as well. What is it? I'm a, an organizer. That's how I came into all of this. Chair of the California Democratic Party. And peaceful protest is who we are and what we do. And do some other people come along and, and try to disrupt? Yes. But you don't send in people acting like stormtroopers into the scene and evoking even more uh, even more uh, unease and unrest but he should be answering for what he did at lafayette square a disgrace hmm. so this is uh, it's really he was like a blob he was like a uh, just a, a, a henchman for the president of the united states instead of the attorney general of the united states of america it's like Chardonnay socialist Nancy lives in a different dimension or something. I mean, it's definitely not the case that you would think she had actually watched that hearing or you'd have to think that she watched it and it's just really, really dumb. Calling the attorney general a blob. Also, is that I mean, he's an older guy. Is that some kind of like knock on his weight? I, I kind of, what did that? I didn't say that they were they were stormtroopers they were acting like stormtroopers and then i fell asleep in my crudite and then the staff came and woke me up and told me that oh miss mrs miss nancy uh perhaps it's time for a nap most powerful elected democrat in the country folks there you go pelosi yep saying just nonsense about attorney general barr you know what would be fun to watch? A battle of wits between Nancy Pelosi and Attorney General Barr. It's just, I mean, it would be uh, a heavyweight fighting a, fl- fighting a super featherweight, but nonetheless, it would be entertaining. It would be entertaining, that's for sure. And I meant that intellectually, not so as a buck. You don't actually want to see them in a steel cage match. No, I'm not a, I'm not a lunatic. It's the libs who want men and women to fight in MMA. I'm sorry. Men who identify as women to fight women in, in MMA. That's not my that's not my position. That's not my preferred policy outcome. But I've been telling you that there's a, a deterioration in the agreement and understanding that we all have about some very core issues in society, things that should not be up for debate or discussion, things that we should all agree upon. And Democrats are abandoning them increasingly. Well, an example of that is What's happening right here? I I think I've said on this show several times, I've talked to you about it, that I saw um, a 
that I saw heroin use, you know, with a with a needle in broad daylight right next to where I live in Broadway, in Midtown Manhattan, in New York City, that I saw this actually occur. And I've never seen that before in New York in my life. And I've seen a lot of things and I've, I've seen a lot of drug use. I've seen a lot of crime. I've seen stuff happen. And I mean, I used to be I used to be out a you know, late night party kind of guy when I was like 17, 18 years old, believe it or not. I'd stay out till well, sometimes all night long, but usually two or three o'clock in the morning, I'd try to come home. But I never really got in any trouble. I was a good boy, but I did see some stuff. And I've never seen broad daylight heroin use with somebody who was clearly, you know, a junkie. I don't know what else to say. Clearly a junkie. And I saw it. New York Post here in uh, here in the city just did a, a story on this one about what they're calling junkie alley. And I know you could say this is this is, uh, oh, this is something that has come up in your area, Buck. But this is just about. No, this is indicative. This is symbolic of what is happening to major Democrat cities all across these United States. They are being ruined. They are ruining these cities. They are destroying the biggest urban centers uh, when you have. And, and let me just tell you this, the, the cleanup process of Times Square, believe it or not, named for the New York Times, the left wing rag that it has uh, it has become or perhaps it always was. And now we just see it. But it, it New, Times Square was a place when I was a kid that you didn't want to go to. There were pickpockets everywhere. Uh, there were people running all kinds of scams. There were drug dealers on the streets, especially you know at night. A lot of drug dealers going on. Prostitutes, really well known for for streetwalkers. Prostitutes just you know looking for Johns. I mean, it was so horrible, unsafe, depressing criminality rampant. And that was in the 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 heart of the heart of New York City. And Giuliani came in and was like, enough of this, enough of this stuff where, you know, they started shutting down. They had all these. I mean, it's amazing. I think back and see this when I was a kid, you know, drive through the neighborhood with my parents. If we had to go to Lincoln Tunnel, you'd have to drive through this area. And there were a whole stretches that were all these triple X peep shows and 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 porno stores and all this stuff. And there were street. I mean, it was disgusting. It was just it was like the red light district of Amsterdam without any of the bureaucratic oversight and cleanliness. And it's just nasty. The whole thing. And that got fixed now. Well, I should say until recently, if you come to New York and I always tell people, don't go to Times Square. That's the worst part of the city. It's the, the biggest, crappiest chain restaurants. The you know, the, the most amount of people that are trying to rip off tourists. They love to do this thing where they. They ask you uh, your name and they write it on a CD and then and then they hand it to you and say, that'll be twenty dollars. That's my CD. Why won't why, you, you said your name? You want it, right? I mean, this give me twenty dollars. Give me fifty dollars. And if you don't, they get up in your face. They love to do that to tourists who are uncomfortable here, don't know what's going on. And I, I hate it whenever that whenever this happens. But, you know, the city, generally speaking, in, in Midtown at Times Square turned into like Disney World. You know, it was clean. You got Red Lobster. You got The Gap. You got movie theaters and lots of police presence. That's gone away. All those things are shut down. There's been looting and rioting in the streets, as we all know. And now you have people who are laid out on the street. I mean, actually lying on the on the street. 
and injecting themselves with hypodermic needles full of heroin in broad daylight while people are trying to go about their lives around them, while people are walking their kids to get some fresh air. We know they're not in school. Um, yeah, that's now that's now New York. What better example could you have of the dec- the decay of Democrat cities than here in the the single largest concentration of Democrat uh, political power and wealth and media uh, media muscle. And you can't even I can't even go out. I cannot go and walk to Lula, the French bulldog, who's adorable, by the way. And if you follow me on Instagram, you will see her. So there's a big incentive there. But I cannot go outside and walk the dog now and not have there be a very serious possibility that I have to cross the street because of a clearly deranged person walking toward me in broad daylight. And you say, how do you know they're deranged? Because they're screaming curses at the sky and yelling racial epithets and being just complete lunatics. And they look like they haven't bathed in about six months and their clothing is all torn and they might have a heroin syringe sticking out of their arm. So so I'm pretty sure I mean, I'm not trying to judge a book by its cover, so to speak, but I'm pretty sure there's a person you don't want to walk very close to. As they're flailing their arms and cursing and this you see this all the time now. Oh, and de Blasio has spent over a billion dollars, actually had his wife running a program that spent over one point two billion dollars on mental health, assisting mental health. Mental health in the city is worse than it's ever been for everybody, particularly, though, for those who are truly mentally ill and need the most help. This is what you get when you put Democrats in charge, friends. Let's all remember that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, here's another great example of how Democrats now abandon things that for a long time they pretended they they wanted to achieve as well, but just use different methods to achieve it. You know, border security, for example, safe streets, um, property rights, these kinds of things, protecting federal courthouses, protecting public property. Uh, Here you have AOC, who is really the the center of the Democrat Party's orthodoxy. Now, I mean, she is a perfect encapsulation of, of a lot of the superficialities that Democrats are, are desperate to sort of celebrate and, and advance. You know, she's young and she's female and she's, she's Latina and all these things that the Democrats are just, that is what matters to them, not the content of a person's character or how intelligent or how, uh, how you know worthwhile they are in their career field or whatever maybe no 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 it's it's this it's the diversity obsession added to this really socialist I was going to say radical socialist but isn't all socialism kind of radical but she's perhaps a radical socialist mindset you know that they, they she just is the perfect encapsulation of what the modern Democrat Party is all about what it believes in. It's kind of a, a, a brainless chanting of socialist slogans added to a lot of virtue signaling and a complete rejection of the knowledge that we have acquired as a society about what works and what makes for things that are objectively good. There are some things in society that it's not about what color you are, what what gender you are, what religion you are. They're just objectively good for everybody. Right. And we want that for we want everybody to be safe on the streets, everyone to be safe in their homes. We want everyone to have their property rights respected and everybody to, you know, be treated fairly under the law. These are all these are things that are supposed to hold us all together. 
They're the foundational concepts of our society. Democrats are attacking those. And until recently, you could argue that sovereignty, which is not possible without a secure border, is something that Democrats also at least give lip service to supporting. But now they've abandoned that as well. Now sovereignty is nationalism. Sovereignty is xenophobia. Here's uh, AOC telling you where the Democrat Party is now in all of this. Play 11. One of the big issues that we have in our country is that the amount of racism, oh, I have ice cream, by the way, but um, the amount, you know, with the amount of xenophobia that we're seeing, especially this administration, there's so much language that's disrespecting undocumented people when the fact of the matter is they're the ones who, these are the families and the individuals that are making sure that we're fed. They're often taking care of our children. They are often um, making sure that, the, that our workplaces and our homes are sanitary. And so we cannot go on with kind of these xenophobic narratives that undocumented people are somehow wrong. Undocumented people are somehow wrong. Yes, you notice how they that's why they want to call it undocumented, because it's a little bit heavier of a lift to say that we shouldn't consider illegal immigration to be wrong because of the very term. You'd say so breaking the law is not wrong. Hmm. Breaking the law is not wrong. I'm uh, I got to tell you, I'm wondering at what point. The left's incoherence will actually start to turn people who are Democrats, but still have their faculties of reason away from the party, at at least to being independents. How could you be associated, affiliated with this and think you're part of a a movement that is intellectually consistent, intellectually worthwhile? Uh, The whole thing is really quite, uh, quite stunning, quite absurd, quite absurd. Um, Not nearly as absurd as the mostly peaceful mechanism. I meant to talk about this before. I just want to get into this. Representative Jordan, we're we're not going to go too deep into the hearings again. We've talked about that a lot. But Representative Jim Jordan uh, spoke about the 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 peaceful protest line that's out there. And I wanted to get this into the show. Play clip 13. Are peaceful protests violent, Mr. Attorney General? No. Do peaceful protests destroy businesses? No. Do peaceful protests injure officers? No. Do peaceful protests attack civilians? No. Do peaceful protests burn down buildings? No. I was, you know, the, the video we played, it's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch to see that happening in our great country. But there was what one, the, the start of it was almost laughable where you have the reporter saying, as a building is burning behind him, it's not generally speaking an unruly protest. It's mostly just a protest. I mean, it's almost laughable when you have the reporter saying, I guess, I guess he's saying it's not a fire, it's just a burning building. I guess he's saying it's a peaceful burning building. That really has become, I think, in many ways, the best distillation of exactly what the Democrat Party has become. The Democrat Party and its media lackeys, I know we always go back and forth, or the... Uh, the Democrat lackeys of the media. I think it goes either way. You can make the case either way. They are really exemplified now by having reporters stand in front of burning buildings, focusing, focusing their attention, editorializing with their focus on how most of the people weren't the ones lighting this building on fire. It's really important to establish that. 
when they will also uh, they, they spend how much time trying to impugn and undermine all Trump supporters by saying that a bunch of tiki torch uh, carrying morons in Charlottesville were somehow uh, symbolic of the entire Trump movement. And then they lied about Trump supporting them, which he did not. He did not do lie. One of the biggest lies they've told about Trump of all. That's a huge one. And it's one that they relied on for years to, you know, people that don't pay very close attention, that have lives to live. And I, you know, I, I don't knock people that aren't spending their, all their time in this, this matrix of political propaganda, right? I, I, people have lives. I, I always tell you, listen to this show and, you know, may, maybe watch like Tucker and then call it a day. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, that's, that's what you get, I think. That's all you need. Uh, but nonetheless... Nonetheless, I I can't help but be uh, furious, frustrated. And, you know, you reach this point where you just wonder how and, and it sounds a little bit like, how dare you, sir? I know that. But it's like, how do these people how do they feel good about themselves? in The media when they do this, when they lie in this way, how, how could they think that this was, you know, a reasonable position for them? How could they think that this isn't they're not a part of the problem? Well, it all depends on what your goal is. Make an omelet. You got to break a few eggs. If you're a Democrat to elect Joe Biden, you got to burn down a few federal courthouses, apparently. Right? It's all part of the destroy in the destroy the country. Be a an insurgency. Forget about a campaign of unity and uplift and good ideas. Joe Biden doesn't have any of that. Hey, I'm Joe Biden. I'm here. I'm just going to talk real loud. And I look like uh, any moment now I might just. Just fall asleep for a bit. It's been a long day. You know, there's corn pop. I said, hey, man. Hey, corn pop. How's it been, buddy? It's been, you know, here I am. Seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on Joe Biden's ranch. Step into my office. Joe Biden supposed to fix all this, supposed to make it all better. Um. but not until he wins. They're not even going to talk about anything else, really, because right now Joe Biden is just a placeholder. There is misery and then there is something else. That is the choice they are forcing upon the country. That is what they're trying to do. They are making the country uh, feel like its future is bleak. And that things are going terribly right now. And I don't just mean, oh, you know, we don't have a, you know, workers need higher wages or the usual Democrats. Stuff. I'm saying you're go- They want you to think you're going to die. If Joe Biden does not win the election, you're going to die from covid or maybe you're going to die from riots that turn violent. I don't know. Could be either. But that's the perception they want you to have. Ted Cruz said this and he absolutely nailed it. Play clip 14. And I'll tell you, the fundamental choice here is, is do we want people working or not? What you incentivize, you get more of. What the Democrats want is they want to incentivize, they want to pay people not to work because they want as many people not working as possible between now and Election Day. Our objective should be maximizing the rewards for working and getting people back in the workforce. And I believe the election in November is going to turn on that question. If we're back at work, Donald Trump wins and Republicans have a good election. But if the Democrats succeed, their objective, they want tens of millions of people at home alone, unemployed, broke and ticked off because they think that's how they elect Joe Biden. And that is really cynical and a bad outcome. Yes, it is. 
cynical and a bad outcome, but that is what they are doing. That is what they want. That is the reality that we are facing now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Speaking of Democrat plans to make things worse for people, um, there is the project of the Obama administration affirmatively furthering fair housing. All right. That is the project of the Obama administration. We all remember this. And the short version of what this would be uh, is a usage of the federal government to through zoning laws and regulations uh, to make sure that they are pushing for public housing. We call it projects here in New York, at least we used to public housing um, to be set up in suburbs, high density public housing. So so moving a a large structure that will be a predominantly people who are going to be either um, getting Section 8 vouchers or are, uh, are in either subsidized or free housing, depending on what their income is, uh, and, and to move those into the suburbs. Now, look, a lot of people need help. I get it. You know, and this is not about saying, well, why, why would anybody, you know, why would anybody want to try to promote a better life for people who are going to be living in public housing than what they have in a lot of the crime uh, the crime filled neighborhoods where you tend to have in urban areas, public housing. But we also know that there is a public housing police authority, for example, in New York, just for public housing, because there's such a concentration of crime that occurs in public housing units here. That's just a fact. This is just what happens. And you also know that public housing, if you live near it, um, can be incredibly damaging and this is just the market speaking people can say whatever they want it can be incredibly damaging to uh property values people tend to not and again this is where democrats you know they they like to push these policies as long as it doesn't affect them uh they they want you if you live out in the somewhere in the suburbs or even pretty close to what would be rural areas uh they want a big public housing project right you know in your neighborhood and, and then the additional strain and, and resources needed for it in, in your school system. And that's what they want. They, they want to make sure that they are moving that out into the suburbs. Now, you know, I, I'm just going to tell you this right now. This is similar to some of the policies that are that de Blasio in New York. I don't know what it is in other cities pushes for having uh, SRO single room occupancy hotels where people uh, which are just known to be places where there's a lot of drug use and a lot of crime going on. And, it's, you know, they can get zoned for them. But for people that can't afford uh, that, can't that won't get a lease that no no landlord will rent to them. They want these SROs where you just rent a room by the day. And, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be places that you see a lot of a lot of people with a tremendous amount of problems showing up. Nancy Pelosi's not going to live next to them. OK. And this is where the this is where the fraudulence of the Democrats comes to the forefront. Once again, Nancy Pelosi, the rich libs, you know, the same way that they want to talk about how your school district. Well, first of all, you can't have a charter school option and your school district. You know, really, you should have a, a forced uh, greater diversity agenda in your school, wherever your school is, um, that it's not allowed to just be people from the community. They want to bring people from the poorest parts of the city and make sure there's a or poorest part of your county 
and make sure they're in your school, but not in the Democrats' own school district. No, they, they don't want that, right? The politicians who push this always reject it when it's on in their backyard. Uh, the same thing here with these, uh, with these uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing regulations. Uh, they do this because they want to say, see, Republicans are being racist because they don't want uh, large public housing projects put in the middle of the suburbs when people have moved to the suburbs for less housing density and less crime. That, that's one of the big and, and a better school system. Well, if you're going to build huge, remember, this is the government intruding on the market saying we're going to build a large, a large uh, you know, housing project in your neighborhood. It's not that some developer said, yeah, there's a market for this. People want to live here. It's no, we're going to park this here as the government. We're going to change the zoning regulations and say this is where, where it needs to be. You got more strain on your schools, the likelihood of rising crime and certainly more housing density, which we all know now, too, in the era of covid is, is a big thing. Well, I bring it up because the Democrats have been wanting to do this for a long time. Donald Trump just tweeted out um, around lunchtime today. I'm happy to inform all the people living in their living their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer the president says you're no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low income housing built in your neighborhood. Your housing prices will go up based on the market and crime will go down. I have rescinded the Obama Biden affirmatively furthering fair housing rule. Enjoy. So there you go. The president taking another action here. Uh, housing should be based on the market and based on individual choices. It should not be the federal government doing this social engineering because you know what happens if you create greater housing density and bring more crime to a suburb? People will leave that suburb, go to another suburb, and it just it just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. Right. Instead of looking at why suburbs that are doing well, not all of them do. Some of them have a lot of crime. But instead of looking at why a suburb is doing well and trying to replicate that elsewhere, they figure let's take the problems that we know exist in cities and have for decades and make it much worse. You know what? Another thing is a housing project can never go up in value. Never go up in value. That doesn't go up in value. When the government builds low income housing, that's what it is always and forever. So you know what that what does that mean? How does that help the surrounding neighborhood? You, you know, you, you've effectively created a, an artificial drag on property. So people, you know what they want to do? They want to leave. And, and the cycle continues and it continues. But Democrats, they want to pull other people into that cycle as long as it's not rich Democrat donors and people that go on CNN and make lots of money. They don't have to deal with that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Will we MAGA or not? That is one of many questions I have for our next guest, our main man, Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. He knows the political fight like the back of his hand, and he joins us now to tell us what's what. Mr. Ned, how you doing, buddy? Good to be back with you, Buck. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I know all things, but maybe I can illuminate on, on some issues. Uh, I just wanted to do a little quick aside here. Big congrats to your dad who got the Presidential Medal Thank of you. Freedom last week. That's uh, that's some pretty baller stuff. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying something. It's pretty pretty amazing. I, I tell people 
in the entire history of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, there have been only two track and field athletes that have received it, Jesse Owens and Jim Ryan. And to further that, there's only seven uh, people that have won an Olympic medal and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So it was it was just an amazing day to, to, to be there, to watch, you know, President Trump, uh, you know, really acknowledge my dad, put the Presidential Medal of Freedom on him. He even called me up last minute. Uh, by the way, Buck, as we're walking into the room, uh, the president looked at my sister and me and said, hey, do you, do you guys want to say something about your dad uh, during the ceremony? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. And uh, so that was that was a really nice touch by the president to be able to say a few things about my dad. But true, truly a great man, not only for his Olympic and running career and his congressional career, but we, we, we could use a lot more Jim Ryans in this world for his honesty and his decency. And, and I say, you know, I tell people nobility. This is truly somebody that is worthy of emulation. Absolutely. Well, God bless and congratulations again. Now let's crush some. Now let's crush some libs. Uh, so tell me what's going on here on <laughs> on Capitol Hill from your perspective with these tech giants. Here's my problem. I, I told this. I told this uh, wonderful and highly esteemed audience that I love everything that I think I need to say about why the tech companies are a problem. The part of this I want to talk to you about is. What are we really going to do? And I, and I do have a, a somewhat, I wouldn't say cynical quite yet, maybe jaded point of view on this, where it feels like we're going to say, oh, they got a lot of bias, and oh, you know, that's not good, and there'll be some Republicans that give gaseous speeches on this in the Congress, and then nothing happens. Am I, you think it might be another way, and if it could be another way, how could it go? Well, there can be another way. I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm for all of the above. They are definitely, in their current form, the tech oligarchy is a threat to the American Republic, right? It's a threat to freedom of speech, free flow of information. Their ability to manipulate that information leads to, you know, results in elections, all of these things. It's a very dangerous thing. And yet you're right. I mean, we hear nothing but talk, talk, talk from Republicans. And I'm for all of the above in dealing with these tech companies. Section 230, remove that exemption if that works. Antitrust suits. You know, how did Facebook and Google end up between the two of them having 300 companies? If that's not a monopoly, what is? But, you know, I wrote an interesting piece on this last fall, Buck, in which I want to go after their business model. You know, we can do the antitrust stuff. We can remove the 230 exemption. But I want to go after their business model. And I, give me a few seconds to explain this. If you go back to the 1992 Indopco versus IRS commissioner, it was a rare case in which it was 9 nothing unanimous decision. And Harry Blackman, liberal judge, and Clarence Thomas all agreed on this issue. And the real issue was, what do you do with intangible, listed intangible assets? Well, you, you have to capitalize them. You can't deduct them anymore. And so I tell people, what does it come down to when you have Google and Amazon and Facebook ads? Their ads are all about building customer lists. And one of the definitions of a listed intangible asset is a customer list database. So if you look at how those ads are being used, they're being used for customer acquisition. Well, what people are able to do now is deduct them, not capitalize them. And so I tell people, go back and look at this piece. And again, I would encourage people, go to American Greatness and look at this, it's September of last year. The question being this, and this is how you box them into a corner, Buck. They want to say, we're just doing ads on a public medium. Okay, if you're a public medium, that's going to open you up to oversight of the FTC, the FCC, all of these things, which they are desperate to avoid. And if they're not a public medium, and they are doing customer list acquisition, well, 
they don't people don't get to deduct the money spent on that anymore. They have to capitalize long term. It would cut their revenue in half overnight. And so all Trump has to do on this. I mean, literally, this is what it comes down to, Buck. He has to talk to Sec- Secretary Mnuchin. He has to tell him you will issue a Treasury edict and make this issue of customer list building and acquisition a tier one audit issue. And then companies that have been deducting these Google and Facebook and Amazon ads have to capitalize and amortize over long term would completely change their business model, cut their revenue in half. And so I tell people, if you really are that serious about it, if Trump really is serious, there are ways to do it. And and almost overnight, the question is, is there the political courage and will to actually do something about it? So but cutting their revenue, does does that just in your mind mean then that they won't be able to maintain that same degree of dominance and competitors will then have a real shot? Is that the point? Yes. Or, is, or is it just to slap them in the face and say, you don't get to be as rich and powerful? No, no, anymore. no. No, no. It opens up the market to competition. All of a sudden, people are going to start looking for cheaper ways to do this. It actually brings us back. This is my, my issue with a lot of this, Buck, is we've gotten into this monopolistic situation. We have not allowed competition. We have allowed a consolidation. I mean, Google controls, what, 90% plus of of search engine traffic. We have allowed monopolies to develop. And that's why I'm encouraging Republicans and actually telling them some of these approaches, this is actually to promote free market capitalism and competition. We have to give more oversight. We have to change the tax regulations. We have to go back and look at some of these things like the Indaco versus IRS to say we are going to break this apart to bring back free market competition, to allow more competitors to rise up, to give more people choices, because we also know this, Buck, and again, I'm preaching to the choir, not only are Google and Amazon and Facebook monopolistic, their worldview is really monochromatic among them, and it's not our worldview. Ned Ryan, founder of American Majorities, a buddy of ours. We're talking now about, uh, obviously, tech, but I want to switch gears, if I can, with you, Ned, to how how is the... So we call it the new and improved Trump campaign. Uh, we're going to have uh, Aaron Perini joining us here in just a moment to tell us what they're planning and what's coming up. So we, we can skip that. But just from a uh, from a messaging and ground game up to this point perspective, have you seen a real shift? Because I know you were you were very vocal and in favor of uh, of a change up at the top of the Trump campaign. It, it happened. Are, are we moving in the right That's direction right. now? Because uh, people keep asking me, Buck, do you think Trump's going to win? And I look at them and say, if I told you I knew, I'd be lying. I mean, no one knows, but I, I, it feels like a coin toss right now. What are you What are you seeing? Well, which actually is a good thing, Buck. I mean, first of all, I would remind people, go back and look at some of these polls midsummer, 1988. In fact, Dukakis, J, uh, George H.W. Bush, Dukakis was up by 17 at that point, And guess who didn't win in 1988? So I tell people, polls in the middle of the summer really don't mean much. Let's Let's look at these polls after the convention. And again, Look at the, the the likely voter polls in the battleground states. And again, we all know this comes down to seven to 10 states. Uh, it's trending in the right direction, Buck. I will say that, again, the reset on the messaging, the switch of the campaign manager, the reset of the entire Florida team, who they just brought in one of the best uh, ground operatives to run the entire state's uh, field work, which is fantastic. Let's put it this way. Do I think Trump is still down? Yes. Do I think he's trending in the right direction? Yes. And I even told this to him on Friday. I said, sure, you're down in some of the polls, but the polls that you're actually doing really well in are voter expectation polls, which right now, really before the campaign gets heated up, dead heat between Trump and Biden. And by voter expectation polls, I say this, 
People are asked right now, if the election were today, July of 2020, who would you vote for? Well, I'd vote for Biden. Well, who do you expect to win? Well, I think Trump by two. And so the voter expectation polls are actually a better indicator in the summer are a better indicator of who will actually win the fall elections than straight up uh, voter polls. How is, doing really well. how is the the campaign's digital game? I know this sounds a little bit like, you know, kind of campaign wonk nerd uh, stuff, folks. But but, you know, I, I just we, we can't have rallies. Right. We, we don't have we don't have the usual political stuff going on that we would all expect that we all saw in 2016. I mean, those Trump rallies, they were highly entertaining. They were electric. There was just something going on there. It was infectious when you saw it on TV. You just had to watch it. You had to see it. Um, infectious, probably yeah. not the best word to use these days. But you know what I mean? It's, it's just there was so much. <laughs> there was so much that was going on with it. I, I, what, what's the plan to, to use the, the digital platforms to recreate that? It's what you and I both know. It can never be fully recreated, right? Getting people into a massive arena with that excitement, with people in close, just being able to be with each other. You're never going to fully recreate that. Uh, but I think they're doing a solid job. I, I think that, that one of the reasons we both know this, Buck, that, that you see these Democratic governors trying to keep the lockdowns, trying to push some of this, including those in the mainstream media. They know how powerful those rallies were in 2016. And they're doing their best to prevent them happening again in 2020. So, you know, solid effort on on, on the social media, but you're never going to recreate those in-person rallies. And, and my hope is at some point they're going to try and get those going again and doing it a little bit more sophisticated than the Tulsa one was. Do you think that they finally have been able to turn the tide on this law and order issue, given what we've seen in Seattle and Portland. I, I was very frustrated. You and I talked about this on this show with the early, you know, uh, outreach to the other side as if that's what was really, you know, criminal justice reform was what this was really all about. It clearly wasn't. You think they've turned the tide on that? I think so. I mean, the, the thing that's pretty amazing that we're, we're, of course, not hearing that much about is this whole issue of, of bringing back law and order, of actually using the National Guard, of using some of these federal law enforcement agents to go into places like Portland and say, we're not going to actually let this happen. We're going to enforce. We're going to protect. It actually plays really well with the suburban moms. And so it's one of those things that, OK, let's take that. Let's continue going down this path. And and I think this is one of the powerful messages that that Trump can actually even hit harder is to the suburban moms, to this very important critical voting block, this will never come to your neighborhood. I'm never going to let this happen to your grocery store. You know, in your grocery stores, you're going to be able to shop in safety. I've got you. I will never let this happen. So I think he is turning the corner. Well, and look, I tell people there's, there's that, I think, two. That's good to hear, man. Issues. That's good to hear. I, I hear you, man. There's Ned, we, we got to leave it there for today. But Ned Ryan of American Majority is the founder. My man, Ned, great to have you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We can now count the weeks instead of months, really, if you want to, uh, until people cast their votes in this presidential election. We're seeing a lot of early polls. People will tell you the polls don't matter, but then they'll show you all the polls. Uh, What's happening with the Trump campaign? What can we expect uh, now that we know we're in this COVID-19 era where mass gatherings are not happening Uh, i want to bring somebody on who can tell us exactly what the plan is and that is aaron perini she is the director of press communications 
for the Trump campaign. Aaron, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's let's just start with this. What is the plan for the next month or so from the Trump campaign? What are we going to see so that this president who was this force of nature in 2016 with live rallies? We know the rallies aren't aren't happening right now. So how is the message going to get out there? And, and what is what is the Trump campaign planning to do? so that people can actually hear why the president should get four more years. So there are a couple of things we're going to be doing, right? One, uh, you will hear us hitting Joe Biden, because while the media gives him a pass, and yesterday he took, you know, the hard-hitting questions of why Delaware, and, you know, how do you feel your campaign's going? Uh, while the media be, may be trying to provide ample cover for Joe Biden, we're going to continue to be out there talking about his record. And we have built such an infrastructure in this campaign, even if we can't do in-person rallies the way that are very traditional to the Trump apparatus, what you will see is our nightly broadcasts across our social media platforms. Those have received over 1 billion, with a B, views since we started them at the end of March, every night, seven nights a week. We are also continuing to stay aggressive with our field program. We had a national weekend of action over this last weekend where we made 1.8 million voter contacts, deployed tens of thousands of volunteers, and managed to bring in thousands more volunteers through that weekend. So we're at 5 million doors nationally knocked so far and 61 million voter contacts made by phone. We have the app. We have so many different ways to continue to get the message out there, but to get it directly to the American people without the media bias, without the media filter. So we've got different opportunities and different ways to do that and we will continue to do so now where do people go they're listening to saying okay wait what's at seven o'clock social media trump campaign where do they where do they tune in or how do they get involved so the best way is 8 p.m. Eastern time every night on all of Team Trump's platforms. So Team Trump Twitter, Donald Trump Facebook, YouTube, on the app itself, the Trump 2020 campaign app for both Android and Apple. Every night, 8 p.m., you can tune in, and we have original broadcasting every night. Tonight is Wednesday, so you will see The Right View, which is our take on The View, and it's Laura Trump, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Mercedes Schlapp, and Katrina Pearson talking about the new of the day, what's going on in this country and how President Trump is fighting while Joe Biden has to fight his record. We're out there all the time doing that, and it's the best way to stay engaged with the campaign. So we're speaking to Aaron Perini, who is a Trump campaign director of press communications. What are the major messages that the campaign is going to focus on? I know we could go on. This could be a three hour conversation, right? But if you were just to give us the you know the what is the elevator pitch that we will be hearing from the Trump campaign and from the president himself about why he should get four more years? Why should the American people look? Twenty twenty has been a tough year for the world, not just for America in some ways. Why should we give Trump four more years? The only person who can bring back the booming America and booming economy that we saw under President Trump is President Trump. And then we can go into hitting Joe Biden. That means Joe Biden oversaw the slowest economic recovery since World War II. He, we saw how he handled the pandemic when they had the swine flu. He stopped testing. They stopped reporting cases. And this is one thing the media is allowing to happen in this country, is that they are acting like Joe Biden doesn't have a disastrous 40-year record to run on. He has 
racially insensitive comments. He has worked to raise taxes on the American people to limit opportunity to destroy the foundation of this country. And he has been one of the leading forces in this nation for it to try and not be the greatness that it is. President Trump said, hey, enough with the government. And one thing that people always tend to forget is that the reason Donald Trump is president is because of the failures of Obama and Biden. That is why Donald J. Trump is president. You don't want to go back to that. And so we're going to be out there fighting. If it's Joe Biden talking about race, if it's talking about the economy, whatever it is, we know where his record is. And we are going to remind people because we know when he says build back better, what he is saying is we want to get back to where we were already under President Trump. But the only person who could do that is President Trump. What is the campaign asking for or what is their position on debates between President Trump and and Biden? And uh, do you think that Biden's going to show up for debates? Joe Biden has no reason not to show up to debates. Why? Because he did a socially distanced debate against Bernie Sanders during the primary season during COVID. He has no reason whatsoever not to show up to these debates. And if he doesn't show up, it shows what a coward he is and how unfit he is to serve. President Trump is ready to debate Joe Biden because they've got a contrasting record that they can talk about. And let me tell you, get the popcorn ready when it happens, because President Trump will absolutely embarrass Joe Biden because Joe Biden will have to stand there without a teleprompter put together a complete thought and try to defend his policies at the same time against President Trump, who we have all seen is a formidable debater. We we are going to pursue these. We are going to do our best to make sure these happen. And it's really, I mean, the Joe Biden camp has no reason not to do it. Aaron Perini, Director of Press Communications for the Trump campaign. Aaron, thanks so much. Good luck to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. All right. Roll Call. When we get to hear from all of you across the country, and if we really want to hear from you, um, let's, uh, let's make sure that we know that we can call in to producer Mark at 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, and, and we can have producer Mark uh, listen to your, your wonderful voicemails, and we'll play them on Friday, and we look forward to that. No one looks forward to it as much as producer Mark. Who, who needs to watch a baseball game and enjoy some delicious pizza when they could be listening to voicemails for a few hours as additional work during the week? Am I right, producer Mark? Exactly. Uh, who needs sports when I have voicemails? Exactly. Hmm. Hmm. So maybe one of you can call in and be like, da, 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 play ball, you know, just to give a little taste of what he's what he's missing as he's listening to the voicemails. But we do like it when you call in and we will play them on Friday. 844-900-BUCK. Also, make sure you're going to BuckSexton.com. Posting stories there. We're working on a store where we're going to sell T-shirts. I think any day now we're going to get the green light on that. I'll tell you about it. It'll be very exciting. Team Buck gear never goes out of style. And uh, also Instagram. We're going to be posting more video stories. I just posted a Tallulah photo. She looked adorable. Buck Sexton on Instagram. Please do follow me there. All right, Jake. Hey, Buck and Mark. I think the president needs to have the Justice Department enact a nationwide protection measure against malicious prosecution for cops. 
What I mean is, temporarily until the rioting is subdued, have all cases brought against local cops who are implicated in police brutality be handled by a special prosecutor appointed by the president. As long as local Democrat prosecutors think they can make themselves famous by throwing the book at any cop who's just trying to do their job, cops will have their hands tied. I guarantee those guys who want to get in there and stop the madness but don't feel empowered to do it on threat of politically motivated prosecution and harassment. Uh, Let me see. Do we think... um, The problem here, my friend Jake, is a jurisdictional issue. The cops are going to fall under local law enforcement. It's not going to be a federal issue. Um, Could you try to pass a federal law specifically... I don't know. You claim that cops are involved in interstate commerce or the regulation of interstate commerce by their very job. And you, you get some tenuous, some tenuous tie into how we could make this a federal issue. But I, I just uh, look, I, I Jake, I like your idea. I just don't know if we could really make this happen. Uh, you're right about Democrat prosecutors think they can make themselves famous by throwing the book at any cop. We know we've seen it. We know this. This is this is happening. Speaking of cops, I've been watching this show Bosch on Amazon. Producer Mark, you ever seen it? I have not. No. Pretty good, actually. Better than I, better than I thought it would be. But one, this is a very little thing, but I just keep noticing this because I've spent a fair amount of time out in L.A. in the last few years, and the guy who plays the Bosch character, he's like this tough, this tough talking cop, and uh, he's got a what looks almost like a hemp wristband that he wears. You know, it's like a little rope wristband. And I see this in L.A. all the time. Guys in L.A. have a lot of wrist jewelry, wrist adornments and accoutrement. And it feels like it's only in Los Angeles that I see this. You know, I don't mean like the live strong. Oh, I guess people don't really. You know, Lance Armstrong, it's kind of, he, he had a quite a fall. Uh, but, you know, what I mean, it's not like that. It's just they wear a lot of little beaded jewelry things. The guys wear them on their wrists. And, and I mean, like the tough cop guy wears it on his wrist. I don't know. You've never been. Have you been out to L.A. recently, Producer Mark? I've been to California recently. I think it's just like a surfer kind of thing. It's kind of like a surfery thing. It is. That's right. It's sort of like a surfery thing, but a, a very unique. I don't know. I, I don't see this anywhere. I don't see this anywhere else in the country where you have, you know, men in their 40s and 50s who have multiple bracelets on. That's that's what you see. There's bracelets. There were there were bracelets out there. I don't know. It's uh, interesting. And also really fancy uh, white T-shirts. You see a lot of that in Los Angeles, too. You'll go out to, like, a nice restaurant, and people will be wearing a white T-shirt. And I'm always like, hmm, that's... But if you if you show up to a room full of people wearing white T-shirts with their wrist jewelry in L.A., and you, like me, are from the East Coast, and you wear, like, a polo shirt and khaki pants, now you look like a guy at the Mutual of Omaha conference from 1995. You know, so that's the thing. When, when you know, when in Rome, when in L.A., I get it. I get it. All right, that was quite a digression. Mike! Next up here. Hey, Buck, I discovered your show a few months back. As a conservative living in Boston, I'm often outnumbered around here. Your knowledge and insight have given me great talking points to crush my lib friends and colleagues and hear the lamentations of their women. Thanks for the fighting the good fight. Shields high. He didn't say the lamentations of the women thing. I added that in because it's a Conan, the barbarian reference. Um, But, Mike, I'm so glad to to help out, my man. Thank you so much. I love having people out here in the Northeast, on the East Coast. Uh, who are outnumbered conservatives like me and still fighting the fight, doing their thing. So God bless. Please spread the word to any of your fellow underground conservatives in the Boston area. Got to say, I, lo- I love Boston. Uh, there's a certain charm to that place. I-, I went there for a wedding a couple of years ago, spent the whole weekend there, did the hop on, hop off, 
uh, tour and all the all the revolutionary history stuff. It's just great and great. A great food town, too. Nothing but respect for Boston food. They really do it right there. Uh, so but producer markets cold and it's a Dem state with high taxes. So don't worry. And I can't own guns. Yeah, so we're not going there. We'll go visit. We're a nice yeah, place exactly. Exactly. We'll go see our friends, our team buck friends in Boston. But the Freedom Hunt is not is not going to be moving to Boston anytime. Uh, Carol, you know, how the statues are being pulled down, leaving an empty pedestal. My idea is to install statues of Biden showing him smelling women's necks, bouncing children on his knee, holding a chain in a swimsuit, looking for corn pop, just generally being creepy. <laughs> Maybe a bust of his face uh, gaping uh, with mouth gaping. It would be a good use of the empty pedestals. Carol, what are you trying to give us nightmares here? Yeah, I am. There's a statue of me from when I was at the pool and my leg hair was blonde and the sun had bleached and little kids would come. They'd come touch my leg hair, but not in a weird way, in a Joe Biden way. Yeah, that's right. They just, you know, they just come along and touch those leg hairs and kind of prickly like a hedgehog. Not really porcupine. Porcupine will stab you with those little quills, whereas a hedgehog is just a little rough, a little different, you know. And my chain and corn pop was, you know, hey, man, you want to fight? And I was like, hold on a second. Hedgehogs and porcupines and it's time for a nap. There you go. There you go. That's uh, I don't think they're going to make statues of Biden anytime soon, though. How long before you start seeing a lot of statues of Obama? Um, within this decade, there'll be a lot of there'll be statues of Obama popping up all over the place. Oh, get ready for that statues of Obama going to happen. Um, I don't think they're going to be statues of hello, which makes her so upset. I'm sure what happened to my statue. Uh, you didn't win Hillary. You didn't win. And there's a part of me that every time I make fun of Hillary is like, I'm afraid I'm going to open my closet door. Or something. She's be like, I'm here. You know, she's just, ah, you can't escape her. She's everywhere. She's everywhere. Uh, all right. The man known as Chopper. He likes to write in, and he, we always remember it because his name is Chopper. Buck, it's not often I have to disagree with you on this point, but I think it must be stated. Eric Swalwell is not the most famous for the Russian collusion lie. I'm pretty sure he's most famous for, <laughs> for farting on a live TV interview. May seem trivial, but I believe in the truth. P.S. Thank you for giving people a voice. Well, my man, you certainly got to the Chopper with this one. So uh, thank you for that. And yes, I do recall that there was the great Squawwell flatulence incident of 2019. And uh, look, it could happen. You know, they, ah, I don't I don't really make a lot of fun on that because, uh, you know, I don't make a lot of fun on that because it can, it can ha- happen to the best of us. You know, one day, you know, I don't know. I do a lot of radio. Things can happen. John Shields High, real news fan. Ooh, John going back in the day here. Blasphemers, the both of you. Man of Steel, always calling you out, Producer Mark. Man of Steel was a great Superman movie, mainly because it brought Krypton, its story, and its technology to life in a way never previously seen before. Now, as for the other Superman movies, you're, go- you're both too young to know what it was like to see Reeve be Superman as a kid. Stop trying to ruin my childhood. Bring back Movie Line Friday and Commie Bear, please. Um... Well, here we could do this. If you want to try to challenge me with an action movie quote, and that actually predates producer Mark's times. He doesn't remember action movie quote Friday, which we used to do on the show, which was a lot of fun. Um, we can uh, we can bring it back and replace the voicemails. I'm OK with that. Well, yeah, but then we then we'd have to start taking live calls, producer Mark, because that's how no, we, we no, we don't have the capability. Sorry. Yeah. So what we will do 
is you can call in to producer Mark's favorite voicemail box and you could pose an action movie quote there, which would be a succinct and useful voicemail for us. There you go. Action movie quote Friday is also now rolled into voicemail Friday. And as for commie bear, I don't know. Some people really like Com- I-, I felt like commie bear, you know, was a was a among the team buck universe was a an acquired taste. But the, the more the more time passed, I still people we haven't I haven't done commie bear. in I don't know, four years now, five years now, people still like where's commie bear. So. I guess we could bring him back. It'd be a fun thing to do, especially for Instagram or. All right. All right. All right. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it for sure. Richard Buck here in North Carolina. King Cooper has decreed that no alcohol can be sold after 11 p.m. When did the uh, Chinese flu become prohibition of adult beverages? When did these fools get this power? I wish a local bar here would open an illegal speakeasy. I'd go get a drink and get some to-go Cuomo chips. Oh, what do you mean by Cuomo chips? Cuomo chips are what you eat when you're trying to drink some alcohol uh, and you have to pretend you're eating food. Why do you have to pretend to eat food? Because I say so. Why do I say so? Because I'm the governor and I like to be in power and in control. What, what do I say this? Because if you're not in control, then, you know, you get it, right? That's Cuomo. I, I hoist my mug of adult beverage to salute you and Mark. Keep your shields high. Richard, thank you so much. And we hoist our, our mug back at you. My mug full, full of Black Rifle coffee. Uh, we we hoist, hoist it back at you. Producer Mark, are you a coffee drinker? I don't even know. I'm not, no. Interesting. My older brother, who is a guy who's very healthy and full of energy, he doesn't drink coffee either. I, I just don't even know how that's possible. Oh, I'm not healthy or full of energy. I just don't like coffee. You, you're not a tea drinker. You don't strike me as like uh, a, cam- I like a chamomile lavender tea. kind of guy. I like iced tea. Yeah, but like Arizona is not, you know, that's like... No, I actually have an iced tea maker. Ooh. Like you'll brew yourself tea and go into a big jug and put some ice in it. Mm. You know what I got recently? It's a game changer. It's one of those make-your-own-seltzer-at-home things. I love it. Oh, I love it. I'm not going to name the common brand of it, but yes. Yes. Cool. Well, maybe that common brand should become a sponsor of this show because I use their product and love it. So I might I might have to. Uh, you know what? That's a that would be a fun thing to reach out and find out about, because it is, in fact, the case that I love making my I'm a carbonated. I'm a carbonated beverage kind of guy. Love it. Just love it. So there we have it. All right. Next up, we had Richard. Now we got Rich. Hey, Buck. Actually, wait. Hold on a second. I got to take a quick, quick, uh, quick breather. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Next up here, we have Rich who writes, hey, Buck, the Fouch, by way of embracing it masquerade in outdoor settings. Oh, the masquerade in outdoor settings has done us a favor in removing any doubts about his credibility and motive. It is not a coincidence that his pitch veered wildly left. Ho, Rich. I see what you did there. I also find it interesting that the normally anti-Big Pharma crowd is either ignoring uh, generic hydroxychloroquine regimens or oddly dismissing its success in the U.S. as well as around the world. Um, Oh, we didn't hear. President Trump defended his. Remember the hydroxychloroquine thing yesterday? He actually because people attacked the doctor, Stella Emanuel, uh, they went after her and said that she's like a phony doctor and she went to medical school in Africa and they were all they were all mocking her and tearing her down. And Trump uh, spoke on this. And here's what he said. Mark, play 16. 
I was very impressed by her. I know nothing about her. I had never seen her before. But certainly you could put her up and let her have a voice. So what they did is they took down their voice. Now, they seem to never take down the other side. They only take down conservative voices. This is shame. And with hydroxy, all I want to do is save lives. I don't care if it's hydroxy or anything else. All I want to do is save lives. If we can save lives, that's great. Now, one thing, we're doing very well on vaccines and very well on therapeutics. So that's very important. But I happen to be a believer in hydroxy. I used it. I had no problem. I happen to be a believer. Many, many people agree with me. A great test just came out from the Ford Clinic in Michigan, very respected. We'll see how it is. Uh, I hate the, the audio that he gets sometimes in these uh, pool spray where you have the reporters all in the gaggle. All the D.C. insiders have all the cool terms. Uh, they all gather around him, especially before he gets on uh, Marine One. And, and look, the president saying he believes hydroxychloroquine. I, I have not I've never told you that it that it works. Um, I don't know that it works. And I don't know anyone who also knows that it works. We're still figuring this out. And I do know that people have lied to you about the dangers of it. That's for sure. We're still trying to figure out what is true and what is not with regard to hydroxychloroquine. All right. Back into the roll call mix here. Austin writes in on Instagram direct message, which I appreciate. Uh, Austin writes, you are the man. Also, love your dog. How old is Tulu? Um, Austin Tulu is uh, uh, just about 11, and she is amazing, and she naps a lot. She's an old lady, but she's still got some spunk. She's still got some fire, you know, especially when there's bacon or freshly roasted chicken in the mix. Then she gets very excited. My parents' French bulldog, but I've had her for the whole of the, the pandemic. Uh, so my parents don't have to worry about going outside uh, when they don't want to or going in the you know elevator in the building where they live because there's a lot of traffic, foot traffic in there. Uh, so, you know, I'm somebody who has to live with the realities of trying to keep loved ones safe during this pandemic and do everything I can. And this has been a you know, it's been a, a happy situation in that I, I've never really had a dog that I was uh, taking care of for this long before and um she's amazing i mean i definitely I'm, I'm, i've always been a dog person but i i need to have a dog in my life that's for sure um i grew up with a boston terrier boston terriers are great little dogs and remember i'm in a city so you got to go with city dogs jacqueline to weigh in on the sandwich debate producer mark i must agree with buck that maybe you may be using some lib logic in your argument is this a social construct whatever we say is a sandwich it is I'm a hot dog that identifies as a sandwich. LOL. In your face, producer Mark. In your face from Jacqueline. A hot dog is a hot dog, not a sandwich. Oh, okay. That's all I'll say. We'll leave, we'll leave it there. That's it for today, everybody. Great show as always. Hope you enjoyed it. Pass the buck. Tell a friend. Share that podcast on Spotify. Shields high.